My name is Hugh, and I have the privilege of serving on the Connect team, and my wife and I also co-lead a community group. Uh, today's scripture is from Proverbs chapter 27, and in addition, I will re uh, read related passages from Proverbs, and they will be on the screen for you to follow. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. A righteous person is cautious in friendships, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and they will hate you. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. One who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. Thank you, Mark. Last service, nobody responded by telling me Happy Father's Day. I was sad. Mark was obviously here last service. Well, we have just heard the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, Happy Father's Day. We come to you as dependent children this morning, knowing that you are a good and perfect Father who has everything that we need and who gives us what we need in due season. And so we come to you today expectant that you'll do that as we look at your word. We bring our hearts and our lives. We ask that you would minister to us as only you can. We open our hearts and our lives and our minds to you. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. I surrender my, my words and my plans today. I ask that you would minister through me to your people. We ask that you would do it for our good and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 
1502, a church in Italy hired a craftsman to shape this gigantic piece of stone into a work of art. But as this guy was working on this piece of stone, he accidentally put a hole in the bottom of it, destroying, or so they thought, this incredible piece of marble. And so the church hid it away for almost 20 years. 20 years later, another artist heard about it, and out of curiosity, he came and asked if he could see it. After looking at it, he declared to everyone, I think I can make this work. And so he began to sculpt this marble into what has become one of the greatest statues of all time. The artist, of course, was Michelangelo, and the piece of art is what is now known as the famous King David statue, which is still on display to this day in the gallery of the Academy in Florence, Italy. I share this story this morning because in some ways it mirrors the story of King David himself. His life was shaped and sculpted by many things, but one of the greatest tools that was used to sculpt his life was the tool of friendship. He was formed in part by his friendships. And I wonder if David's son Solomon, who authored most of the book of Proverbs, had his father's friendships in mind when he wrote these words. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. David's life was shaped by friendship. He valued it deeply, and his son made sure to weave it through almost every section of this beautiful book. Some of you have been reading through the, uh, the Proverbs reading schedule this summer, but what you may have not noticed, what may have not stood out to you, is how often friendships are mentioned in this book. As theologian Hugh Black points out, the book of Proverbs might actually be called a treatise on friendship. There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. And so the value of friendship must be carefully kept because friendships have a profound impact on our lives. In fact, their influence and their voice in our lives is usually louder and more influential than anything else, which means that they also have the power to influence, influence our decisions, influence, influence the way that we see the world, the way that we think. Friendships are rarely neutral. They always have an impact one way or the other. As C.S. Lewis said, friendship can be a school of virtue, but also a school of vice. It is ambivalent. It makes good men better and bad men worse. In fact, the Bible is so clear on the value of friendships that almost every single time the Bible refers to someone as a friend, it is talking about the good kind. Very rarely, if ever, does the Bible use the word friend for someone who is a bad friend. We just say that, like, ah, oh, they're such a bad friend. The Bible doesn't even give those people the honor of that title. It has far worse things to say about them. What the Bible calls those people are things like the wicked, or the enemy, or sinners, or fools. And so a friend who does not sweeten and enhance your life is actually no friend at all. So if we're to choose then, rightly, when we're choosing our good friends, we need to learn a couple of things that we're going to talk about today. Number one, what makes friendships vital? Number two, what makes friendships fruitful? And number three, what makes friendships sustainable? 
So what does make a friendship vital? In 2007, a worldwide study showed that it was people from Liberia who were found to have the greatest sense of meaning and purpose in their life. It was surprising, though, when the results came out because it was, this study was done just a couple of years after Liberia finished a 14-year war where 250,000 people had died. But as author David Brooke points out, often the pleasures in our life are not the things that drive us to one another, but rather it is crisis that forces us into relationships with one another. And you may have experienced this. I know in my own life that in the hardest seasons of life, it has been friendships that were the biggest lifeline. And this is how God designed it. Because friendship is actually, friendship emanates actually from the very nature of who God is. God exists in community, if you will. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interacting each one with one another in what, Trinita- uh, what theologians have called inner Trinitarian love. God exists in relationship. He is three in one. Friendship emanates from the very essence of who God is. So no wonder the Bible is full of depictions of friendship. And no wonder the book of Proverbs so highly exalts the value of true friendship. So why exactly are friendships so vital? And Why exactly is it so important to choose well who we build our relationships with? Well, to start, because relationships shape us. The image of iron sharpening iron is powerful. For iron to become sharp, it actually requires additional iron. What does it mean to be sharpened when it's talking about us? Well, it means to become more of who you were intended to be, who God has made you to be. A true friendship will sharpen your character, sharpen your beliefs, sharpen your behavior, sharpen your outlook on life, sharpen your gifts, and sharpen your vision of the future. An iron sword was made to be sharp, right? It's useless unless it's sharp, but it requires another piece to sharpen it. And to keep it sharp in order for it to reach its full potential and then keep its full potential. In the same way, God designed you and me to get better and better, become more and more of who God intended us to be, and to stay that way through relationships with people who bring the best out of us. Unfortunately, though, the opposite is true also. In the same way that certain relationships can sharpen you and bring the best out of you, other relationships have a tendency to dull you and bring the worst out of you. I love how Proverbs 13 so bluntly puts it, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Your character is not something that is formed by you sitting in a room alone, even listening to great podcasts or watching little snippets on YouTube or by having a virtual relationship with a person who leaves very encouraging words in the comment section of your latest Instagram post. Character is formed in large part by your relationships, for better or worse. I'm not, I'm not dogging the people online who are speaking these things. They can be wonderful and helpful if they're speaking truth, but they don't know you. What they're saying may be true and it may be good, but the way that that is teased out in your life 
is through community. It's through friendship. That's why we don't just preach scripture on Sundays, but we encourage every person who's a member to be involved in a community group because that is where the truth of the scripture plays out in your life. You need a community of people to help you look at those truths and apply them to your life and see them bear fruit in your life. Simply put, I know it's hard for some of us to hear, but you need friends. And that's true for all of us because some of us, maybe the introverts in the room are like, hey dude, I don't need anybody. I'm good. And I get it. People don't realize that I'm an introvert because I'm at church and I'm like, hey man, what's up? I turn on every bit of extroversion that I have when I'm at church because I want to be able to love on all the people. But I'm telling you, when I go home, I'd be fine to be by myself in my house for the next week. Introverts, y'all need friends. And extroverts, I know that you get excited and all like full just being around people in general. But don't mistake people in general for friends. You need friends. So none of us can avoid this reality. Whether you are young or old, married or single, busy or not, Male or female, fellas, listen to me. I don't know what it is about us, but I've been doing church ministry for over 20 years, and I have rarely, if ever, run into a woman who does not understand her need for friendship. But I have rarely, if ever, run into a man who understands his need for friendship. We think we're like self-sufficient or whatever, and the husbands are like, yeah, she needs them. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need time with friends. Plus, I ain't got no time for friends. Like, you think I just got a bunch of time? I'm going to find my extra time for friends. I ain't got no time for friends. Plus, if I had a little extra time, I want to spend it doing something else. I want to, like, do something, probably by myself. Not that I've ever said anything like this or thought it. I've just heard other fellas throughout the years saying these kinds of things. Fellas, y'all need to invest in relationships. We need to invest in relationships and good ones because all relationships shape us, but the good ones shape us to be more like who we were created and saved to be. This is iron sharpening iron. And that's one of the reasons why friendships are so vital. But they don't just influence who we will become. They influence where we are going. Relationships don't just shape us. Relationships also steer us. As the old saying says, show me your friends and I will show you your future. The ones who you are in closest relationship with are the ones who will end up having the most profound influence on which direction your life goes. The choices that you make and the things that you value and prioritize. This is why Proverbs 12 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous choose people to spend their time with who are heading in the direction of God. That is the right way. That is the righteous way because they know that if they are investing their time and energy into those relationships, then chances are they too will head in that right direction of God. In contrast, the wicked are going in a way that is contrary to God. It is far from God. It is not the righteous way. 
But chances are that when you invest more and more time and energy into those relationships that you may very well end up going in that direction. You will end up thinking like them, living like them, prioritizing and valuing things that they prioritize and value. So there's a warning here. People that we stand our time with are not just having a net zero impact on us. They're not just neutral. We like to think of ourselves as being fully in control of of uh, everything that we are influenced by. We don't like to think of ourselves as, as being easily influenced by external things. But the Bible's pretty clear about it. The bad company that we keep affects who we are. Paul said it like this to the church in Corinth. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, he was telling the church, stop lying to yourself. Why are you lying to yourself? Stop lying to yourself. The bad company that you're keeping is corrupting you. We become more like the people that we spend the most time with. So what do we do with this? Does that mean that we don't ever spend time with people unless they're bringing out the best in us? What about non-believers? They're not on a path that leads toward God. Should I not have relationships with non-believers? Of course you should have relationships with non-believers. The question is, what is the purpose of the relationship. Jesus spent a lot of time with non-believers, but his purpose was always to show them what the kingdom of God looked like. So he was very intentional about how and when he spent time with non-believers. He was intentional about the direction that the conversation would take and the way that he would respond to what they would say and do. The question is, is the relationship an ecosystem where spiritual life can flourish? Or is the relationship an ecosystem where spiritual life will die? Your spiritual life and their spiritual life. And this goes for those who profess Jesus too. Unfortunately, just because someone believes in Jesus doesn't mean that they're living life in a way that is leading others down a path toward righteousness. Okay, so what do you do? Do you cut off everyone in your life who's not leading you down a path of righteousness? No, not necessarily. But where are you investing the bulk of your time? Here's something really practical. If you only got two, two hours in your your week to invest in relationships, maybe don't spend an hour and a half of those two hours with the people who are bringing out the worst in you. You can also ask, well, who is influencing who? If the righteous are influencing the righteous toward a path of God, okay, awesome. But if it's the other way around, then okay, maybe there's something to consider here. How bad is it? Well, how good is it? Where does it fall in between? There's a lot of factors that play into how much time you invest in which relationships and to what degree you let people in to your life. I'm gonna put up a little graphic on the screen here. Don't get too excited. This is the only one I'm gonna use. There are relationships that fall along a spectrum in our life. On one end of the spectrum, represented by the people on the left, you have relationships in life that will hurt you. They are harmful to your spiritual, mental, emotional, and maybe even physical well-being. These are toxic relationships. Those relationships are an ecosystem where nothing good, nothing good can grow. On the other end of the spectrum, represented by the people on the right, you have relationships that can help you. They are beneficial to your life. They actually contribute to your spiritual, mental, emotional, and maybe even physical well-being. These relationships are an ecosystem where good things grow. And then there are the relationships that fall somewhere in between. 
And depending on where the people in your life and where those relationships fall along this spectrum, you should have a different level of investment in those relationships. And those people should have a different level of access to you, to your mind, to your heart, to your time, and to your energy. The relationships that bring nothing good and maybe even bring death to the things in your life, those people don't need access to you. It's okay to have a goal of distance in a relationship. Sadly, this side of heaven, not every relationship has the ability to create an environment of health and fruitfulness. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that that means you get to stay in bitterness and unforgiveness and estranged from people. The Bible says to be at peace with all people so much as is dependent on you. The Bible says you cannot go to sleep with anger. You need to deal with your bitterness toward people. You need to forgive them. But forgiving people and being at peace with them in your heart does not also mean that they have full access to you. You can have distance in a relationship while also having peace in your heart toward them and not carrying bitterness toward them. There are relationships that are toxic. If your life was a ranch... By the way, a ranch is this thing where there's a lot of land and there's not a lot of people for all the people who grew up in California trying to move to Texas. <laughs> there are relationships that are toxic. If your life was a ranch, there would need to be a wall, okay, a good wall outside of your property that people don't pass. But then there are relationships that don't need a wall. They just need some strong boundaries. What they need is a good fence. This is the difference between a wall and a fence, right? A wall is, is solid. You can't even see through it. A good one is tall. You can't jump over it. You can't hear each other through it. A wall says, I'm not going to be seeing you, and you're not going to be seeing me. We're not going to be talking you're over there and I am over here. I'm going to choose distance in this relationship because of the toxicity of the relationship. But there's other relationships that don't need a wall, but they do need a fence. They do need good boundaries. A fence says, I'm going to see you and you're going to see me. It's not a wall. You still have access to me, but there are obvious limitations. There are boundaries. Most relationships will fall into that category, that middle category. Not a wall, not full access, some kind of boundary somewhere in the middle. But then there are a few relationships in life that are an ecosystem of health. The relationship is an environment where spiritual life thrives, where mental and emotional well-being flourish, maybe even where physical health increases. The people who, are in those, who you are in those types of relationships with, the Bible would give those people the honor of the title friend. That is what friendship was designed to look like. These are the people who you can open up the gates of your fence to. You don't have to have the same kind of boundaries. You allow them to, to come and go more freely. Your heart is more open to them. Your life is more open to them. Now, they don't live on your property, 
They're not your family. They're not your husband or your wife if you're married, if you're a young person. They're not your parents. They're not your siblings. They still got to go home at some point. But you have opened up your gates to them. Listen, by design, you have limited energy, including mental and emotional energy. Every relationship requires some level of energy. But the best ones don't just require it. They actually give it. Friendships were designed to increase the sweetness of life, not just to rob you of it. As Proverbs 27 says, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. When the Bible talks about friends, it is talking about the person who causes sweet flourishing in your life. So what would these kind of flourishing relationships be characterized by? Or said a different way, what makes friendships fruitful? When you read the book of Genesis, the account of God creating humanity, God creates Adam and he puts him in the garden. And do you know what the very first job that God gave Adam was? To cultivate the garden. Why do you cultivate something? so that the things in it can flourish. Our first job as human beings is to cultivate the environment that we are in so that everything in that environment flourishes. True friendship creates an environment where each person is thriving and flourishing. So what would a friendship like this look like? And what can you do to create an environment of thriving in the people around you? And what should you be looking for as you're thinking about which relationships to invest the bulk of your time in? Well, if you think about the the well-being of your life as a tree and the relationships around you as gardens, where do you want to plant your tree? Which garden do you want to plant it in? What kind of garden do you want your tree planted in? One that causes your tree to thrive or to wither? I want friendships that act as an ecosystem for growth, for thriving, for health. So what would this look like? Well, one of the things that creates a friendship that is an ecosystem for health is commitment. True friends are loyal. Sadly, many friendships die or never exist in the first place because we're not willing to count the cost necessary and just commit. We won't. We don't commit. And sadly, culture doesn't help either, right? One person does something that whoever doesn't like and they're canceled forever. But this isn't the gospel. The gospel says because Jesus has been committed to me, even though I keep messing up, so I can commit to others even though they will continually mess up. For a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Commitment doesn't mean 24-7. Remember, they don't live inside your house. That's not friendship. That's called codependency. All times does not mean in every moment, but rather in every kind of season. True friends stick around. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. The inverse is true, right? Those who have reliable friends that you can count on in, in every season. 
keep you from ruin. True friends will not let you get ruined. It's easy for somebody to stick around when like everything is good in your life. That's called a fair weather friend. But true friendship is marked by a commitment even in the most difficult seasons. Even when it is costly for them to stick around. Even when maybe the friend is not acting that friendly. But this doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye. Fruitful friendships are not just marked by commitment. They're also marked by candor. That means that there is a culture of honesty and openness. Candor, it means to speak honestly with one another. Man, when you know that somebody is out for your best good, it allows you to speak freely with them. It allows you to be excited about the victories in your life, knowing that they're going to celebrate with you while also keeping you humble and grounded. It allows you to speak openly about the struggles in your life, knowing that they're not going to judge you. You don't have to live in fear, but they're also going to direct you on a right, healthy, healing path. And on the flip side, this means that when you're on the other side of the relationship, that you're this kind of friend who provides that kind of safe place for them to be honest with you, to share their struggles and their victories, which means that you got to learn to listen. A good friend knows how to listen without constantly turning the conversation to be about themselves. Some of y'all need to learn this. It's called the boomerang effect. It's not good. And to learn how to listen without always trying to fix it. This is something I need to get better at. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is to just be there without saying a thing. Just listen without saying a thing. But sometimes we do need to say a thing. And sometimes it is a hard thing to say, which is rarely ever fun and usually fairly uncomfortable. But if we refrain from speaking honestly, having candor with even the uncomfortable truths, when they need to be spoken, then we are actually not being a friend at all. For better is open rebuke than hidden love. The wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's never easy to say hard things to those that you love or to receive hard things from those that you love, but it can get easier by remembering these three things. Number one, you got to expect it. Expect the honesty. In fact, you should be leery of a friend who never says anything to you that is corrective. Secondly, examine it. Consider what is being spoken and take the truth of it to heart. And then thirdly, endure it. Even if it's a bit overboard or it's not always done in the kindest way, which is very likely, don't get resentful and shut yourself off. Now, if you have this already in your life, thank God for it. Cultivate that garden. That is an ecosystem where things can grow. And if you don't, then work toward creating that. But as you do, remember that not only are we candid with one another, but we also care for each other. Friends are mindful where their friends are at emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually in each season and then respond accordingly. This is highlighted by the bad example of an insensitive and uncaring person in Proverbs 25 when it says, 
We all laughed at it earlier. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and they will hate you. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Part of providing care is being sensitive to the different seasons that our friends are in. You have to know, yes, this is my close friend, and yes, the gates have been opened to me, but part of me caring for them is being sensitive to where they're at at this moment in their life and what kind of season they are in. So if your friend just went through something difficult, man, what do you need? Or what do they need? Do they need a phone call or do they need quiet? Do they need you to show up with some ice cream or do they need you to just show up and drop off the ice cream? Maybe they just got married. It's a new season. Maybe they don't want visitors. Some of you might be overly fearful of of getting too close, and so you actually just stay away. But there are others who need to be aware of good boundaries. We need to be sensitive to boundaries and seasons. And as the proverb says, be sensitive with our words. Part of caring is being sensitive with our words. And so we don't want to be candid at the expense of being caring. One of the things that I love looking at in the life of Jesus is how the the way that he interacted with people. He always spoke honestly. He always had candor, right? He was always candid. But he always did it with so much care. He spoke honestly, but he did it in love. When we are only candid but not caring, it actually shows how disconnected we are and unaware of what is happening with our friend. To, being, to be caring means that you're not bringing things down when your friend is trying to rejoice. And you're not making, trying to make things light when they're sad. After our, our baby Nehemiah died several years ago, one of the worst things that we experienced was when people would come up to us soon after he had died and They'd say something like, hey, man, I know you're, I know you're sad right now, but God's going to work this out for good, man. He's, he's going to work it out for good. They weren't wrong. God was going to use our son's death to accomplish good in our life. But they were singing songs to a heavy heart, and it felt like pouring vinegar on a wound. They were well-meaning, but absolutely insensitive and unhelpful. One of the most caring and helpful things that we can do for someone who is grieving is just to grieve with them. Just to close our mouths and listen and grieve. In fact, I wrote a song shortly after that I never released because it was too mean, but it was just called Which is why I guess Romans 12 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Friends are sensitive to where their friends are at and respond accordingly. And friends allow themselves to be cared for accordingly. Some of us are great at providing care, but terrible at receiving it. But a healthy friendship is a two-way road. Are you receiving care? Think about how you can give it back. Are you only giving care? 
Think about how you can humble yourself to put yourself in a place of needing care and receiving care. This creates an ecosystem of health. And in it all, we do it with confidentiality. From their biggest ideas to their smallest worries, we keep confidentiality. It will be difficult for you to foster close friendships if you don't keep confidence because it's hard to feel safe in a relationship when every time you share something, whether it's big or small, you end up hearing that somebody else is like, hey, so-and-so told me about such and such. It's hard to feel safe in a relationship like that. I knew somebody who, they, they were constantly like, they were like the town gossip, always sharing like the good stuff, the bad stuff with us. Oh, did you hear about such and such? And I made a mental note. Maybe I don't share anything with this person because everybody else is going to know about it. Proverbs 17, 9 says, The one who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. One of my favorite things that another friend often says is, that's not my information to share. I'm like, hey, you just hung out with so-and-so. Did you ask him about such and such? I was wondering what's going on with that. You know what, man? That's not really my information to share. If you're not the source of the information and haven't been given permission to share the information, then it's not your information to share. So, by way of recapping before we go to the last, the third and final point here, friendships are vital because they are one of God's greatest tools to shape and steer us. They can cause flourishing in our lives. But the ingredients for fruitful, flourishing friendships are commitment, candor, care, and confidentiality. This is what creates an ecosystem where people can flourish in friendship. But no one wants a fruitful, flourishing friendship that is short-lived. We want fruitful friendships that last. So what makes a friendship sustainable? Because you may hear all of this and be like, yeah, dang, man, I, I need that in my life. I want that in my life. I'm, as just an aside here, um, I don't preach that often anymore, like every eight weeks. So I don't get to choose what I'm going to preach, right? It, Tim just does the schedule and he's like, hey, man, can you preach this? I'm out of town this weekend. Um, so when he gave me this topic, I was like, because oh. it's the fourth time in the last month that this topic has come up. Which at that point, I'm like, I guess God's trying to talk to me about something because I'm, I'm actually not that good at this. I need this. I, I'm that dude that I was describing earlier. I'm like, I'm good, dude. Baby, you need to hang out with friends. I, my, my wife's always like, honey, you need to hang out with friends. And I'm like, no, you need friends. That's why you do that. I don't need this. I'm going to go build something in the backyard. <laughs> And so you may hear this and realize, gosh, dude, I, I, I need this in my life, but how do I get it? And how do I keep it? Well, the wisdom, that our, the wisdom that our society gives is just focus on yourself, man. Think about yourself and the relationship. What do you need? Treat yourself. What do you, what do you look out for your own needs? Make sure you're getting all your needs met. But the funny thing is that this kind of like only like self-centered thinking is actually the thing that uh, kills relationships. If holistically fruitful friendship is going to last, it's going to require a goal that is bigger than the friendship itself. 
God designed all of your relationships, including marriage, by the way, to be about more than you. But it is also about more than the friendship itself. Why can 70,000 people show up to a sporting event? All of them voted for somebody different in the presidential election. All of them thought different about COVID. All of them from different social statuses, different ethnic backgrounds, different political views. And they're all acting like they're from the same tribe. Like they were just born from the same, grew up together, high-fiving each other, like cheering with beer or whatever you drink at a ball game, right? They're just like, everybody's unified. What happens for those three hours without even thinking about it? They have found something that transcended themselves. It was bigger than each individual. And so they were able to rally around it and unify around it. In the gospel, the good news of Jesus is the biggest and best thing. It is the ultimate and common passion and vision. No matter what your social status, no matter your ethnic background, no matter who you voted for, no matter if you got vaccinated, there is something that transcends all of that and all of us, and it's going to last a lot longer than two or three hours. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin, and all of us come to him as equals with the same exact need. We are desperate, helpless sinners who need a savior. And then we are all given the same spirit. And we are all on the same journey, pursuing the same Jesus, becoming more and more like him. So now it's not just about me. And it's not just about you. It's about both of us following and becoming more like the same Jesus. I love how author Gordon MacDonald says it. There is a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be, as they say, myself. But what I really need are relationships in which I will be encouraged to become better than myself. Myself needs to grow a little each day. I don't want to be the myself I was yesterday. I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be more of a Christ-like person. This is why we commit through thick and thin. Why we sacrifice time and energy. Why we do the hard work of forgiving and preferring one another. Why we say hard things that need to be said. Why we care for one another. Why we ask good questions and be good listeners. It is for the goal of following and growing into a person who is more and more like Jesus. But it's not just that we need a goal that is greater than the friendship. I'll end with this. We also need a love that is greater than the friendship. And guys, this is only found in Jesus. Every other friend, even in the church, is going to let you down. But Jesus cannot and will not let you down. And the friends that you have let down, they may not always be gracious to you. But Jesus will always be gracious to you when you fail. Other friends may not show up in the way that they should in your time of suffering and need, but Jesus will always show up in the right way, the right time. Your friends may not have the right timing, 
or know the right words. They may not know how to just sit with you while you are weeping, but Jesus always does. He is always out for your best good and will always do what is right for your best good. He will always speak truth and he will always do it in love. He will always cultivate an environment and an ecosystem that causes fruitfulness. The more that you grow in relationship with Jesus, the more you will flourish. A true friend is there whenever it costs the most. This is what Jesus has done for us. In the gospel, Jesus becomes our greatest friend. It is the forever friendship that all other friendships are to be built on. Friendship with Jesus makes all other friendships possible. We are able to love others because he has so greatly loved us. We can become good friends to others because we have experienced his goodness toward us. We can continue to love and forgive imperfect people because he has perfectly loved and forgiven us. Jesus, who is God, stepped down from heaven and became a servant so that we might become his friends. For greater love has no one than this, than someone to lay down his life for his friends, Jesus said. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So if you know Jesus today, then you have the most valuable thing ever. And if you don't know Jesus, then you need to know that he stands at the perimeter of your life, where maybe you have previously put up a wall or maybe you've let the wall down, but there's a fence. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna invite you in. He's standing there saying, I, I wanna come in and give you life. I wanna come in and forgive your sin. I wanna make all things brand new. But we have the choice to open up or not. If you don't know him today, I would encourage you. I would ask you, I would beg you. According to the mercy of God, open your life to him. He's the greatest friend you will ever have. Let's pray together. And so those of us who know you today, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for loving us so perfectly. Thank you for laying down your life for us and calling us your friends. And I pray now for the person who has not yet received you and is not yet in a relationship with you, ask that you would save them today. And if that's you where you're sitting, you can just say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I am opening up the gates. I am opening up my heart and my life to you. I need you. Please come in. Forgive me of my sin. Give me life.